add a bit of sunshine to your home with Easy Living Furniture's Garden Furniture Sale with stunning dining sets, cracking egg chairs and relaxing sun loungers that are in stock and ready for delivery there really is something for everyone and with an extra 10% off sale prices and free delivery over 399 now really is the time to let your garden shine Garden Sale now on Visit Easy Living Furniture Don't miss out Find your local store online at easylivingfurniture.ie This is an Irish independent podcast. Hello and welcome to Real Health with me, Carl Henry. His voice will be familiar to all of you from super spreader events, SARS-CoV-2 and vaccine boosters. But they're far from what we're going to be speaking about today. I'm delighted to be joined again by Professor Luke O'Neill to chat all about science, its amazing impact on our health and our lifespan. His brand new book, To Boldly Go Where No Book Has Gone Before, takes a look back through the biggest breakthroughs in science. As the front of the book says itself, the science teacher we wish we all had. Professor Luke O'Neill, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks very much, Carl. Very happy to be here. Yeah, I am the science teacher you wish you had. <laughs> we well, listen. People love to listen to you. We're, just, we're chatting before that uh, we came on air. So you know, you're going to do some stuff in the UK because the book is available over there for the first time. People will love you because they love listening to you talk science because you get so excited about it and you just explain it in such a simple way. You make science so easy uh, for oh, people to times. understand, which is great. Why very is time. why is science so great? Let's start there. Why is it just so brilliant? Why do you love it so much? Ah, well, it's a fantastic way to understand the world. Let's start with that, Carl. You know, so science is the best thing we have, in my opinion, to try to understand things. And it can be anything. It can be stars in the sky, dinosaurs, human health, of course, vaccines, you name it. Science brings uh, its power to those very questions. And very importantly, it's all about data and evidence to remember, because scientists are obsessed with getting evidence to back things up. My favourite line, Carl, you know, the oldest scientific society in the world is the Royal Society in London, founded in 1660. Its motto is, take nobody's word, right? The, the, motto, the motto could have been, science is great. That isn't good enough. Take nobody's word. In other words, show me the evidence. Show me the evidence. And that, that, that drew me to science, actually, was this capacity to show evidence, to back up what you're saying. And, for, and to be honest, Carl, it gives me comfort is, is a word I use. It's a very messy world out there. You know, there's all kinds of worries and concerns and uncertainties. Science is our friend, in, 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 especially in uncertain times, I think. So for all those reasons, there you have it. Science is great. So science is your comforter. Kind of. When things get, you know, when you get worried about stuff, you have science to back up the truth and the untruth. And that gives yeah. you a sense of kind of calmness. It does. Our, our sense of con- control over these things, maybe, is another word to use. So, for example, climate change. It's a terrifying thing for all of us, isn't it? And Absolutely. yet science has a way to, to sort that problem out if we don't listen. <laughs> That's the other thing. It's all very well for scientists to say things. People have to listen as well. But uh, the climate change is soluble through science. That gives me a bit of hope that we won't destroy the planet, you know, and that, that's in the direction we're going, and we can hopefully stop it, you know. So again, that's a good example of how science is very helpful to us. And in the introduction in the book, you mentioned your first chemistry set. Was that really where it all began? 
Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's be honest. Now I love I love science from an early age, without doubt. But I do remember getting that chem my mother gave me a chemistry separate. Did you did you have one car when you were a kid? I didn't actually. I, I do oh, love see, science yeah. though, right? But I do I love history too. But I, I do I'm fascinated by science uh yeah. the older I get. But I didn't get one though. Yeah. I didn't get a camera. It was jealous. a toy. It was a toy that lots <laughs> of kids got and there was test tubes and chemicals, you know, and I got my, my mother must have spotted my interest in science, I guess. And I got that for Christmas. And I began doing experiments in my bedroom in some of my very first laboratory my main lab is behind me here of course but my very first lab was my own bedroom and i began to mix chemicals up and i tell the story how i got bored following the instructions you see and i began to think oh i'll add all the chemicals together into one tube stuck some water in stuck it on a bunsen burner remember these famous burners yeah, i remember that and guess what it blew up and stained my bedroom ceiling with a big brown stain. My mother came running up the stairs going, what have you done? You're blowing up the house. You know, <laughs> I'm going, science, mom. Science is a great thing, you know? And that's amazingly, Carl, that stain is still there. I was back in the house uh, a year ago, and it's still on the ceiling. And whatever those chemicals were, they're, they're certainly long-lasting colours, you know? And you still get the same grow. Like, even watching you describe that there, there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of love in that memory. Do you still get that from work when you go into work today? Oh, God, I do. I mean, one of the best things of being a scientist is it's always moving forward. Uh, we're always trying to make new discoveries, obviously. Now, it's tough because often it's failing or experiments don't work. Your idea was craft, that kind of thing, you know. But every so often, and at the glimmer there, you say, oh, that's interesting. I've seen something brand new. And of course, in my case, as you know, Carl, I work on the immune system and we keep making new little discoveries about the inner workings of the immune system. And it's so exciting. It's intellectually exciting anyway, because it's an intellectual thing. But secondly, it may help patients. My ultimate goal is to get medicines into humans for big diseases. So we work on Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, for example. Everything we do is heading in that direction. So it's a long way off, I have to say often. But still, you're making a tiny step and that you might discover a scientific aspect that might give rise to a new medicine. And that, for me, would be the biggest thrill of all if I reach that that goal. Chat to me about the future of science in Ireland. Like with the BT Young Scientists, it's massive. You know, we see lots of lots of schools are interested in it, the kind of content that's being that's being uh, created. One of the recent ones was around the particles, the plastic particles in the water. Uh, I think it was a, a student down in Cork came up with an idea for that. Is there hope for the future of science in Ireland? Oh, there is. There is. I mean, one thing I would say is we've got fantastic science teachers in Ireland. And I am the president, I'll have you know, of the Irish Science Teachers Association. So there you have it. You're talking to a president here. But, <laughs> but I meet them, they have an annual conference and they all get together. What a great bunch of people. Inspiring students. That, that young scientist is the envy of the world, you know, because so many students turn up and it's all these different projects. It's a wonderful buzz about the place, you see. So I've no doubt that uh, Irish science is a very bright future, as long as we keep funding it, because our, our, our gripe always is not enough money goes into scientific research from the government. You know, that's not too bad in Ireland, I must say. But, but we have to capture that talent, don't we, now more than ever. Someone in Ireland might invent a new battery that will not generate carbon and could save the world, you know. And th- those young people in particular, they are the most enthusiastic of all. If you ever talk to a 14, 15-year-old kid, they are so into it, you know, and they've got great hope, haven't they, for the future through science. So I think the future is pretty good, given our education system is a big reason for this. Okay, let's put it back to the book for a little bit. Um, one of the things you say in the book that science involves emotion. A lot of people wouldn't quite think that. So chat about that a little bit. Yeah, one, one thing I'm going to do in the book is I, I was asked to do a brand new history of all of science, you see, and that's a bit of a tall order, isn't it? I'm very modest. How can I write a history <laughs> of science? And I began writing it. 
And I realized it's about the human beings who do science, really. And that made it more interesting. The human element is we, we love the human aspect of everything that we do, don't we? And yet science is often a cold, calculating pursuit. It's done by human beings. Now, what that means is it's got the same thing as a reality TV show. In fact, I call in the book, I, I say science is the best reality TV show of all time. The rivalry, the odd personalities, the jockeying for position, the ego, the affection is all in there because it's human beings, you know, and, and, and emotional responses is very prominent. I mean, I, I would occasionally respond emotionally when I see a, a fantastic new piece of data, strange as it may seem. I think it's partly because you're putting so much effort in, you know. You're trying to score a goal in a football match, if that's the equivalent. And of course, it's very emotional when you score the goal. And science has, has that exact that exact aspect as well. And then it has fear. It has, you know, envy. Other, other emotions are part of this as well, you see. And of course, there, there can be um, sadness that things don't work out. So we are human. The, the bottom line is scientists are human with all the traits and foibles that humans have. And um, one of the things we, we chat about here uh, on the show a huge amount, and especially over the last year or so, is about living longer and living better. And science is playing a really important role in how we in how we age and in how we get older, isn't it? It is, yes. And in fact, I've got a chapter in the book on medicine, obviously, and the history of medicine and how science was applied to medicine. Medicine used to be um, more to do with magic than anything else, as you, as you know, Carl, you know, like a thousand years ago. And then science got involved and began making real discoveries that gave rise to new medicines, you see. And the massive breakthroughs of antibiotics with superb Alexander Fleming vaccines, I mean, that they're scientifically based, had to be proven that they worked through science as well, but the rigor of science, you know. And now we've gone on with that, aging becomes a huge focus because obviously we're living longer than ever because all these great advances mean that you won't have a heart attack in your 50s anymore, you know, whatever it is. You live to your 80s or 90s. Let's make sure you have a healthy old age. And again, science is examining the aging process and trying to understand. We, we still don't know the basis for aging, amazing as it may seem, you know, in terms of why do we age? Why do different animals age at different rates? That's still a mystery, you see. And yet we're understanding more and more about it. And of course, if we can crack the aging process, you can live to your ultimate age. For humans, it might be 130. Eventually, the machine breaks down. Unless, of course, we replace all the organs and then you live forever, possibly, you know. But in general terms, stay healthy till you're 120 would be the goal of this. And slow down that aging process is what that's all about. And there's great progress there, Carl. Lots of advances are being made in, the, in understanding aging from a scientific point of view and then developing new ways to slow it down. So that's a very exciting part of medicine. These Does days. that scare you on a global level? On a societal level, though, if we're aging, you know, if we're keeping, if, if, if we can get to 120, uh, yeah, does that frighten you from that perspective? I wouldn't say frighten me. I think I think the truth is that it would be a wonderful thing to see all of us and all our relations who are elderly living healthy lives, wouldn't it? I would start with and living a full life, you know. Now, of course, you'd worry about overpopulation, maybe, but remember the population is declining anyway, you know, and that, that might solve that one. So the, the growth in population, they reckon will plateau, by the way, in about twenty years' time, we'll see a plateau and then start to go down, you know. So in other words, in terms of overpopulation, mm. wouldn't be a concern. And what a great resource. People 110 years of age with their life experience, still contributing to society in all kinds of ways. That'd be a great thing, really. Yeah, I, I, as I get older, you, you begin to think about stuff like that, don't you? That, you know, I'm 41. You're like, am I halfway there now? <laughs> you're a young man, for God's sake. 41 years of age. That's the new 21. And, you hope, <laughs> and then you begin to think about aging. And all of a sudden, the aging documentaries begin to interest you. Like the, 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 the new one on Netflix. In all fairness, they don't discover anything rocket science-y in it. It's about, you know, yeah. in terms of where they live, people being uh, the, the social component of health and, and you know, eating yeah. unprocessed food and all of that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, the, the aging thing is fascinating. It's, it is, it's, it's, 
it's interesting. One of the big scientific developments, I suppose, uh, in recent years in terms of medication, of course, is Ozempic, isn't it? In terms of for, for diabetes, yeah. but now also for obesity management. That's right. Yeah, that's a huge uh, aspect. And, and it's amazing stuff coming about Ozempic, Carl, you may have seen. So, so Nova Nordisk got the company who make it, you know, and they make two things, Ozempic and Wegovy. They're the same drug, actually, slightly different dose and formulation. Ozempic is for type 2 diabetes. And Wegovy is for obesity, right? That's what they're approved for. And then they released, literally in the last few days, they also protect the heart from heart disease. They decrease risk of stroke as well. And then thirdly, they treat heart failure. So suddenly now those two drugs could have huge, first of all, commercial potential because the markets for those diseases is massive, you know, and then benefits the patients. And what it's meant is uh, Novo is now the most valuable company in Europe. Can you believe it? The valuation is 400 billion euro. And wow. that's more valuable than any other company. And what strikes me as well is that it, it's, it's worth more than the entire rest of the da- Danish economy. It's a Danish company. And they've been, now that's, got, that's the stock market because there's so much promise in, the, in these new approaches. So Ozempic is an absolute fascination. And Carl, as you may know, it mimics a natural hormone that our body makes called GLP-1. You make GLP-1 after a meal and it helps your body process glucose and handle fat and stops you eating when you feel full. And that's a natural thing, obviously, you know. And then suddenly you can use it now to have those effects in type 2 diabetics or in obese people. So it's very clever. The discovery was really, really a good example, again, of fantastic science. And you know, Carl, it was discovered in this Gila monster. You know, okay. that part of the story. No, Yeah, GLP-1 was first. Well, there was a scientist working on these lizards, these giant lizards, right? <laughs> and, he, and he knew that they had a great metabolism. They never got obese, basically. And they would eat maybe once a week, and that's all they had to eat, you know. And he purified from them this thing that became GLP-1, and their bodies make that to control glucose, control fat, and stop eating. And he wondered, oh, is there one in humans? He looks in humans, and he finds we have one as well. So, like, the phrase I was using was it was hiding in plain sight in humans anyway, but it took a scientist interested in lizards to discover (laughs) it. And now the health benefits could be tremendous. You know, it's a very strange sort of circuitous route, isn't it, to get to a, a, new, a new therapeutic. A book like this, it, it's a big title, you know, the jo- A Joyous Journey Through All of Science, and it's a, you know, it's a big book, there's plenty of content in it. Bring us through a few of your favourite snippets of it then, in terms of some of the stuff that you've covered. What's your, what's your, what are your favourites? Oh, there's so many. Favourites are always horrible questions, but however, there we go. <laughs> it's a tough one, because once I began researching these people, these scientists, their life stories just blew my mind, you know, got me very excited. I'll give you one example, Florence Nightingale, who I'm sure you've heard of, you know. Now, what I tried to do, Carl, was first of all, include people who wouldn't be normally included in histories of science. Often women were written out, by the way. And there's loads of women who made very important discoveries, you see. So Florence being a woman. And then I tried to find the quirkier aspects of their lives to make it interesting, you see. Now, Florence, as you know, was the, the key person who invented modern nursing. You know, she brought hygiene to hospitals, nursing training, all that stuff. Is, she gets a credit for that. You know, the lady of the lamp helping all those poor soldiers, you know. But what you don't know about her is she was a fantastic statistician. And she was the first female member of the Royal Statistical Society, right? Which was unusual at the time. And when she went to the Crimea, as you may know, she's, all these soldiers are dying of infections. There were more soldiers dying in the Crimean War than, than being shot, you know? They were dying of infections. And she proved that. And the politicians in London didn't believe her. And, and again, she stood up to them, a woman, you know, she wasn't being listened to, being criticised. And, and eventually she realised they can't read the graphs and the tables. So she used pie charts. You know, these pie charts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And then they got the message, you know, and, and she decreased the death rate, Carl, from 42 percent of soldiers in the hospitals there down to two percent. Talk about an impact on, on human health and on the army and the military, you know. So she, she, she to me, is a huge hero because she stood up to the, the old guard. And many scientists have to be like that mavericks. They're often outsiders who are booking the trend. The, the, the dogma has to shift and nobody will listen to them and they get to get vilified in various ways. She was vilified. She stood up to them and proved her case using science. It became absolutely, uh, you know, undeniable what was going on there. And the other bit about her that's a good little uh, quirky fact about is she had a pet owl that she kept in her coat. And occasionally she'd take the owl out, you know, and put it back in her coat again. You know, so I love that little, little aspect of her personality. So that, that she's one of my favorites in the book. And of course, we saw that, that vilification, I suppose, recently in terms of COVID, where scientists yeah. were being on and being vilified for content they were delivering. Same old story, nothing changes, you know, and um, I think it's partly out of fear, remember. So if you say, oh, there's a nasty virus out there going to kill everybody. The first thing, some, oh, I don't believe you. You're making that up for some reason, you know, or it's, or it's a conspiracy. That's a fear response, you know. Um, and then other good examples would be masks, that, that dreaded topic, COVID, that COVID again. People denied they worked for a long time. And again, the science proved a, a proper mask, worn properly, works great for COVID. But again, there was a good few months of denial and vilification. I mean, I, I, I was an advocate for masks nasty attacks coming at you, you know? So I stood up and said, look, here's the evidence, you know, the masks work. And again, it illustrates how science, again, can be a powerful thing. Tell us about science and mental health and kind of brain diseases of the, of the brain and how yes. we're progressing from that perspective. Yeah, well, again, there's a chapter on the mind and the brain, of course, and neuroscience. And I go into the history of that, you see. And as you may know, the Greeks thought the mind was in the heart. We now know it's in the brain, that kind of thing. You know, I describe all the great neuroscientists and all the advances that were made there. And uh, the big question now is consciousness. Can we understand what it is? And it's very difficult. But as I talk about a guy called Carl Dieseroth. He's, he's a pioneering guy. He may get us to understand what the conscious mind is incredibly. Can you imagine? And that's the science part. Now, the medical part is all these diseases are still very badly managed. Mm -hmm. You know, schizophrenia, psychosis, depression. There are some treatments, of course, but we must do better to treat these mental health uh, ailments, you know. And again, the discoveries of the basis for those scientifically will hopefully give, um, you know, the capacity for drug companies to throw drugs at these things and help patients, you know, and treat them in various ways. And then secondly, of course, as you know, the neural networks of the brain are very complex. No doubt you can get mind over matter and maybe... And we know meditation and all these things work, you know, what are they doing in the brain that are beneficial? So it's a really exciting aspect of, of medicine at the moment. You're, in my opinion, Carl, the biggest question in, your, in, in all of medicine is actually, what's the basis for, for those mental health-based diseases? If we can get, see progress on those, it'll be a great thing. And is that where you see the future of, I suppose, of science in terms of, you know, if we're looking into a crystal ball in the future of what, we're, what breakthroughs are going to come, what are, you, what are you forecasting? What are you, what are you foreseeing? I do. I do. You've hit the nail on the head there. I think neuroscience is, is the real frontier now, simply because we don't know an awful lot about the brain. There are many unanswered questions. You know, if I go back 50 years, it was immunology. So when I began as an immunologist, not much was known about the immune system. Incredibly, you know, all those advances that, that my lab made, thousands of labs all over the world have given rise to drugs that suppress the immune system in a disease like rheumatoid arthritis, for example. So when I began my PhD course, if you were diagnosed with rheumatoid, you ended up in a wheelchair in your 40s. You know? wow. Now you don't. Now you don't, because because I mentioned this in the book, things called cytokines are discovered. They are causing all the damage, and then drug companies block the cytokines and prevent the joint destruction happening there. Now, we'd love to see a similar narrative 
with depression, say, or with schizophrenia. Can you imagine if we make a similar breakthrough there? You know, so I, I see neuroscience as absolutely a key one, and then, and of course, the big diseases, Carl Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, very little treatments. We are seeing advances, thankfully, now for Alzheimer's for the first time. So I predict we're going to see a lot more progress in that area. That's going to be a big, a big, um, a big area for the future. And is there, are there any areas that concern you then in terms of the future of what's being developed around the world or or or, or not? Well, there's always worries that the scientists do their job and then someone does something nasty with it. Let's say that, you know. That's I, the big American that. blockbuster movie right there, obviously, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's like Spider-Man. <laughs> like, uh, like nuclear power is made into a bomb. You know, this kind of thing, you know. we got to keep an eye on that one. Keep it regulated, you know. Keep, keep a check on things. I do think that social media is one of the more malignant things that have, that have happened to us lately. We thought it was a fantastic piece of technology. And it is great. But look at all the harm it's doing, you know. So there's always concerns that when a new scientific breakthrough happens, it could go down a road you wouldn't want it to go down. And that, that would be something to keep an eye on. I do think the regulatory bodies are hopefully there. I mean, with, with new drugs, the FDA is there and the EMA to protect us. And they, they do a great job by and large, you know. Whether we need to regulate social media must be a big question that we have to ask now. So there's always a one or two fears in the background. Professor Luke O'Neill, it's been amazing to catch up, as always. I love chatting to you. It's great. Uh, the new book, obviously, is in bookstores uh, and online. Uh, it's a bold to go where no book has gone before. A joyous journey through all of science. I wish you the very, very best of luck with it. And we'll catch up in person very soon. Folks, I really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry. You know where we are, at Carl Henry PT, uh, realhealth.independent.ie. And we'll see you next week for more Real Health. So long ago, folks.